My name is Doug. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is uh, August 20, 2009. That's only because of a God that I don't understand who loves and forgives me anyway. A sponsor that demands accountability. Rooms like this and people like you that I'm able to uh, have that sobriety date. It's been a privilege to be here. I'd like to thank uh, Bart for inviting me. Adam, my host, he's been, a, you guys, let me tell you something. Adam, up and coming in Alcoholics Anonymous, he is doing the deal. And uh, I'm thrilled to have been able to uh, make a friendship with him. I'd like to also thank everyone who has put this event together. And let's not forget about our uh, taper mic uh, behind the scenes. Let me tell you something about tapers. Economically, these days, they're being driven out of the business. But tapers are vitally important to Alcoholics Anonymous because these tapes get to prisons, they get to institutions, they get to our military, they get to our rural communities. And without these tapes, that message is not going everywhere it needs to go. So please support your taper this weekend and uh, purchase a package. You know, yesterday, uh, Adam uh, picked uh, Lon and I up. Lon is your uh, 8 o'clock speaker tonight, and he's a sponsee brother of mine, and you're in for, for a definite treat. And thank you, Linda, for last night. Your vulnerability was inspiring, and uh, looking forward to hearing uh, Mickey and Linda. They, they look so much alike. It's hard, it's hard to tell the difference. Mickey, your talk last night, the, the uh, vulnerability you showed, and looking forward to hearing Linda today. Adam picked us up from the airport uh, yesterday, and uh, in 20 minutes, we were friends. You know, and tw after 20 minutes, we were, you know, cutting up and laughing, you know, and, and talking about this, that, and the other of our alcoholism. And, I, you know, that, that's what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous, and that uh, there's a common bond. And uh, that, that common bond unites us and brings us together. Let me tell you, I'm, hello, Zoomers. Hi. <laughs> you know, that, that common bond unites us. And uh, look, I'm a big fan of church. I love church. But if I start talking to the little old lady sitting next to me about the drunken disorderly in a Tijuana donkey show, I'm going to have that pew all to myself pretty quick. But you get it. You understand. You say... Let me tell you what happened to me. <laughs> you know, my whole life I thought that uh, family was uh, uncles and aunts and cousins and brothers and sisters. And then I came across a line from a Robert Frost poem that said, Home is that place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And that's Alcoholics Anonymous to me. When I had to come here, you, you had to take me in. And good, bad, or indifferent... You tell me to keep coming back, and for that I'm forever grateful. Before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was a helicopter pilot for Shell Oil. I was based in the North Sea, and what I did was I, I uh, flew um, employees from shore to the uh, drilling platforms. And I was based in the North Sea, based in Long Beach, and then in the uh, uh, Sea of Oman uh, in the Middle East. Um, I was also a, a sports reporter for the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville, Florida. I covered the Jacksonville Jaguars for three seasons. When I lived in Colorado, I was a uh, state senator for the third district of uh, Colorado, which was a uh, suburb of uh, south, a southwest suburb of Denver. Now, I've never done any of those things. But when we're sitting at the bar next to each other, <laughs> that's who I am. And, and that's because this is what happens. When we're sitting at the bar, the same thing happened here. You kind of lean in. You think, that's interesting. I want to hear more about that. As early as page two of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, Wilson writes, I would prove to the world I was important. And there was something about me since I was a little kid not getting that part of Joseph in the school in, in the in the kindergarten pl nativity play, I ended. I was cast as a shepherd, stuck in the back. So my entire life, I would prove to the world I was important. And when I'm sitting on, the, on that bar stool and I'm, I'm making up these stories about who I am, you make me feel important. And I spent my entire life doing that. Spent my entire life lying to you 
so that you would make me feel different than the way that I felt. And when that didn't work, alcohol and drugs did it. My first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous happened because my first wife, and of course only in Alcoholics Anonymous can you put a numeral next to a spouse and nobody bats an eye. <laughs> so we were living in South Florida, and my first wife uh, asked me to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Apparently I had a drinking problem. I agreed to go. I had a not sleeping in the big bed problem. <laughs> so I go to that, I go to that meeting that was uh, near our home, and I sat against the back wall with my arms folded as we do when we know we don't belong there. <laughs> Nobody's talking to me. I'm not going up to talk to anybody. I'm biding my time by looking at the stuff up on the walls. And they had the stuff, same stuff on the walls back then in uh, 1998 that they have today. And when I got home, and, 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 and I kept reading that first, that first line in uh, that uh, lampshade, it kept poking out at me. And I got home, and she said, what do you think? And I said, okay, I admit it. I'm powerless over alcohol, and I'll figure it out. <laughs> and let me tell you, my sponsor says this, we either die or we go insane while we're trying to figure it out. And I figured it out out of that marriage. I figured it out out of the marriage to the neighbor lady. I figured it out out of a business, out of a couple of homes, out of my driver's license, out of my kids' lives. I figured it out all the way to my elderly aunt single wide trailer on the west side of Jacksonville. And I sat in that recliner and I commenced to drink her social security check. Drinking that natty light and watching that TV all day long. We did a lot of watching Matlock and the Golden Girls. <laughs> I was unemployable. I had uh, no motivation for anything because I was resigned to the fact that I was going to die in this trailer. And I was going to die in this trailer because I didn't have her. I was going to die in that trailer because I didn't have it. If only I had $5,000, I could get out of here. If only I had her, she could get me out of here. So I'm resigned to the fact that I'm going to die in this trailer. And after the natty light stopped working, because it does, I started stealing her little old lady pills out of her medicine cabinet. Don't know what I was taking, but I knew if I took enough, something was going to happen. And what happened is I became a really big fan of the Golden Girls. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the recliner one day, and she has the audacity to say to me what no alcoholic who's sitting in a recliner drinking for free and watching the Golden Girls wants to hear. She says, you need to get a job. I thought, you know what? She's right. I do need to get a job. If I can just get a part-time job... I can pay for my own booze, and she'll get off my back. Now, it never once occurred to me, did not cross my mind for a second, you know what, I need to get a job so I can save enough money so I can get my own place. I need to get a job so I can save enough money and get my driver's license back. I need to get a job so I can save enough money so that I can send it to my, to my kids. I need to get a job so I can get my own booze, and she'll get off my back. So I did get a job. I got a job... Uh, well, I, I started uh, filling out applications online, and a few weeks later, a major American corporation contacted me. They said, Mr. Jones, we'd like to talk to you about an employment opportunity we have available. I thought, great. They have my resume. They see my application. They must want to talk to me about being their vice president of operations. <laughs> well, it was Walmart. <laughs> And they said, we'd like to talk to you about being a pharmacy technician. And I said, go on. <laughs> now, here's the deal when you get hired to be a pharmacy technician at Walmart. Now, look, I have no experience in the health sciences closest, or, or, or any science whatsoever. The closest thing I ever got to the sciences is the Big Bang Theory Marathon, okay? <laughs> I've been in the business world my entire professional life when I was working. The deal is, they'll train you in an hour, and an hour later you can start stealing pills off the shelves, because that's what I did. And I learned, enough, uh, I learned enough in that hour that if I want to change the way that I feel, I need to steal those class two and those class three narcotics. Your Percocets and your Xanax and your Valium and Hydrocodone, you know, you know the list. 
You, son, you got it tattooed on your ass. You know the list. <laughs> so this is what's going on in the back shelves of that Walmart pharmacy. I'm filling pre people's prescriptions, and it's going something like this. Four for them, five for me. Six for them, five for me. And I'm either sticking them in my pocket or I'm swallowing them with that obligatory water bottle full of vodka and 7-Up. Because nobody can smell vodka, right? <laughs> That's uh, alcoholic's biggest lie number seven, that nobody can smell uh, vodka. And so that's what's going on every day that I'm there for about five months. Now think about the insanity of this disease. This is a Walmart pharmacy. There's 18 cameras over my head. <laughs> but my mind is saying, you need to change the way that you feel. What, what is going on with your life? You used to have a nice house, a beautiful a family. You're, you're living in a tree. You're riding the bus. What's going on with your life? Take that drink. Take that pill. <sighs> It'll be all right. It'll be okay. And then the next day. What is going on with your life? What happened to you? Why are you working in a farm minimum? What's happening to your life? Don't take that drink and take that pill. It'll be okay. Over and over and over again. Finally, I did get caught. And they escorted me to Walmart jail, which is actually just a little storeroom in the back of the warehouse. And... Uh, you know, I knew that eventually I would get caught, but I also knew that uh, that I could get out of it. I've been getting out of stuff my whole life, right? And um, I, I imagined that when I finally would be caught, that the deal would go something like this. They'd take me to a room, and they'd have a monitor, television monitor set up. They'd sit me down, and they'd say, Mr. Jones, have you been stealing pills? Nope. No. No. What? No. Then they flip on the monitor, and there's me. And they'd say, is this you? Now, I want to help. I, I, I want to help them get to the bottom of this, because clearly somebody is stealing pills, and, and I, I need to help them find out who it is. I'm going to pull, you know, I'm going to OJ up on them, right? And uh, so, so what I do is I lean in a little bit. Give them that squint. No, that's not me. Well, that's clearly you. 6'1", bald, 150 pounds at the time. And I'd squint a little more and lean in a little further. No, that's not me. Well, Mr. Jones, that's clearly you, and you were clearly stealing pills and putting them in your pocket. Hmm. Oh, I know what's going on. I remember that day. Yeah, no, those aren't pills. Those are Tic Tacs. I'm just reaching in my pocket to get Tic Tacs. Oh, okay. Well, sorry to have bothered you. In fact, let's give you a promotion for having to put you through this. That's how it's going to happen. What actually happens is, Doug, have you been stealing pills? Yes, I have. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, and I can't stop. And that's the first time in my life that I had that moment of clarity, that I was honest about who I was and what I was. And that's the first time in my life that I felt freedom. I felt freedom from the bondage of drugs and alcohol because I knew that they, I didn't have to look over my shoulder anymore. I knew that when that squad car was pulling through the parking lot, that they weren't there for me. I knew that I didn't have to wake up with that anxiousness and that nervousness. When are they going to find out? When's it all going to come crashing down? So when I had that moment of clarity and said, yes, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, there was freedom. Now, I didn't know what was going to happen to me, but I found out pretty quick when they arrested me. <laughs> and I got charged with three felonies. Okay, well, I got charged with uh, theft. Yeah, I, look, I own up to it. I was stealing. I was stealing the pills. I got charged with uh, possession without a prescription. Yep, guilty. I was in possession. 
no prescription. Then this third felony they charged me with, I didn't quite understand, and they charged me with, because I had like 30 pills on me when I got arrested, and th so they charged me with uh, possession with intent to distribute. I thought, that ain't intent to distribute, that's a Tuesday. <laughs> and so I was taken to uh, the Duval County Jail, Duval, and uh, I'm charged with these three felonies, and... Um, my life is over. Nobody's taking my calls because I've systematically destroyed every relationship with anyone who ever tried to love and care about me. I've got about 30 jailhouse lawyers who are telling me I'm going to state prison for about 20 years. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm scared to death because I can't do prison. Well, about uh, four or five days after that, I didn't have to worry about that anymore because that's when the uh, withdrawals set in. The withdrawals from alcohol, benzodiazepine and opiates. That's when the delirium tremens started. That's when the convulsions started. After a couple of days of psychotic behavior, I got my own suite on the medical isolation floor. <laughs> and uh, and I'm hallucinating horribly. I mean, I... Look, I'm running around the jail cell. I'm, climb, I'm climbing on top of the sink toilet, talking into the vent, and Captain Eddie is going to hatch a plan to get me out. Uh, you know, I, I'm crawling underneath the cot. I'm having psychotic episodes. And um, at one point, I'm running around my jail cell stark naked, and I'm slamming into the cell door, which is glass. And uh, I... Uh, I fall into respiratory failure, and I collapse on the floor. I break my right hip when, when I fall, and the COs come in and get me. The COs, in case nobody's familiar with that term, oh, never mind. <laughs> you all look like you're familiar with that term. So the COs come in, and they get me, and they take me to uh, Shantz Hospital in Jacksonville, and I present with respiratory failure and a shattered right hip. They stick me in a medically induced coma, and the put a respirator down my throat. I'm in that state for three weeks. Now, after uh, three weeks, they pull me out of that uh, coma and they take the respirator out and I start coming too. First thing I notice is I'm in a hospital bed because it's quite clear that I'm in a hospital. And I, I notice I'm in a hospital bed in four-point restraints, because that's how they do when you're under the auspices of the sheriff's department. And I'm starting to focus my eyes, and all of a sudden, a nurse from my right leans over, puts her face right into my face, nose to nose, and she says, just like this, Do you believe in God? <laughs> Lady, I just woke up. I'm taking it back a little bit, and I said, I don't know. Now, I'd had, always had a fundamental idea of God, you know, but at this time in my life, if there was a God, that God hated me, because if God loved me, and if there was a God, why is my life the way that it is? That's, that's how I came to you. Why is my life the way that it is if there's a God? Because I grew up with the Santa Claus God. You just wish for it and it happens. And so I said to her, I don't know. And she said, still nose to nose. Well, you ought to. Everyone in this hospital thought you were going to die. God has kept you alive for a reason. God has a purpose for your life. And I started to tear up. And I understood immediately what she was talking about. And I, 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 I immediately thought about my two little girls and that tree limb I had picked out in my aunt's uh, front yard. And I don't know how I got there, but I know how I got there. Because if you drink and drug the way that I did for 25 years, that is a destination. And I challenge anybody in this room to tell me they don't know somebody whose destination was in death either through the abuse of uh, drugs and alcohol. We all know somebody. We all know multiple people. And then she said this, still nose to nose. She said, 
And she softened it down a little bit and said, God loves you and God forgives you. It's time to love and forgive yourself. And I just started bawling. I, 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 I cried uncontrollably. And this nurse happened to be a longtime clean member of Narcotics Anonymous. And she told me her stories of drug addiction and alcoholism. And I told her my stories of alcoholism and drug addiction. And we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. <coughs> I haven't taken a drug or a drink since then. Now, the difference between that moment in 2009 and that moment in 1998 when I went to that first AA meeting is that in 1998, I admitted I was powerless over alcohol. In 2009, that nurse and I, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. There is power in we. There is power in this room. There is power in the relatability that we all have together. One alcoholic with another alcoholic. Look, this whole gig started in 1935. Nobody was going to any treatment centers. There weren't meetings like this. Nobody was on their knees praying. There wasn't a book to read. It was two guys, Bill Wilson and Bob Smith, two alcoholics who got together and talked to each other about their alcoholism. And by doing that, by sharing their experience with each other, they both received strength and hope. That's Alcoholics Anonymous to me. So this nurse started to talk to me. She brought a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous into the hospital. And for the next five weeks, we discussed the first two steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, upon further conversation, we discovered that I was primarily alcoholic. Now, there's a lot of science uh, in chemistry and bio. There, there's a lot of stuff behind you know, the differences. There's a lot of philosophy behind the differences between an alcoholic and a drug addict. I'm not smart enough to figure any of that out. This is what works for me. An alcoholic is somebody who will have drugs brought into the bar. And a drug addict is somebody who will leave the bar to go get drugs. I don't know what's wrong with you drug addicts. Why you'd leave a perfectly good bar to go get drugs. Pookie will bring them in, I can assure you. So we talked about the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I found out that I'm not an alcoholic because I drink too much. I'm an alcoholic because I can't drink enough. Once I take a drink of alcohol, I cannot control how much I'm going to drink after that. It could be two more, it could be 20 more, and I'll see you Thursday at 6 a.m. We talked about the phenomenon of craving. And this is the phenomenon of craving to me. See if, see if anyone else can relate to this. It's uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Call her. Say, hey, honey, I'm going to stop uh, on the way home. I'm, I'm going to stop for 2, and then I'll be home about 6. And, of course, it's always just 2. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you can be an alcoholic if you have more than 2 drinks, uh, actually, because uh, it's, it's always just 2. And uh, she says, okay, I'll see you at home at 6, and uh, we'll have dinner. Great. Now, put me on a lie detector test. I'm going to pass it because I have every intention of stopping for two and being home by six o'clock. And then this happens. So I'm sitting on the bar stool. I've already uh, let somebody know that I was, you know, a CIA agent. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm halfway through my second drink. I'm going to be going home when it's, uh, when it's gone. All of a sudden, Ron comes through the door. Ron says, Doug, great to see you. I haven't seen you for a while. Let me buy you a drink. It's true. I haven't seen Ron for a while. It would be great to catch up. I let him buy me a drink. So now I've had three. Well, I don't know about your bar, but at my bar, if Ron buys me a drink, I have to buy him a drink. So now I'm into four. All of a sudden, Susie, the bartender, comes up. She's got two cocktails in her hand. She says, here, fellas, these are on the house. It's Thursday. Now I'm into five. Dolores comes in. Her kid just had his first bowel movement. She buys around for the house. Now I'm into six. All of a sudden, I'm getting home at three o'clock in the morning after having just been to 103rd and Ricker to see Pookie down $200. That's the phenomenon of craving. That's what happened to me day in and day out. I was just going to stop for two. 
But once I take a drink, I can't control how much I'm going to drink after that and what's going to happen to me. She told me about the mental obsession. She told me that if I'm not taking a drink, I'm thinking about taking a drink. And I had to automatically go back to all of these times that kids' baptisms, ugh. You know, Christmas, ugh. Graduations, God, PTA meetings, this is a nightmare. <laughs> and just doing nothing but, when can I get that drink? When, can, when is this going to end? I need to go have a drink. I can remember my first wife and I were living in Pompano Beach, Florida, which is uh, outside of Fort Lauderdale. And it was uh, Christmas Eve day. All of her family, all of my family were going to be are, are on their way over to our house for a Christmas Eve dinner. And I said to my wife, I said, um, I really want I, I really want some fish with dinner. So I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm, I'm going to get some fish. I'll be, I'll be home soon. Okay, I'll, I'll see you when you get home. All right. So about three and a half hours later. Because I've never met a drug dealer who knows how to tell time. <laughs> I get home. She says, where have you been? And I, I don't have any fish with me. She says, where have you been? I've been looking for fish. Where's the fish? Nobody had any fish. Now, look, we live in a town named after a fish. <laughs> But I can't find any fish. You know, this is how I'm living. And, the, and because of that, that's why I'm drinking. Because I can't stand the way that I feel sober. Mickey said it terrifically last night, and I'll, I'll take it a little step further. The only thing that makes an alcoholic drink is sobriety. Because I can't stand the way that I feel when I'm not drinking. I can't stand the fact that I'm a liar and a cheater and a thief and that I'm breaking everybody's hearts and that I can't keep commitment. I've got to take a drink because taking a drink makes it okay. Taking a drink makes it palpable. One of the, uh, when that nurse and I were talking about the, um, the mental obsession, um, and I was sitting in that hospital bed, I had to go back to 2006 when I was in the same hospital for, uh, for also breaking a bone. You see, uh, I was in a DUI car accident uh, the day after Christmas 2006. Let me explain to you why it wasn't my fault. <laughs> so I happened to be near a mall on the day after Christmas, and the traffic is an absolute nightmare. And it's bumper to bumper, and nobody's going anywhere. I've got that obligatory cooler full of uh, beer in the uh, passenger uh, well uh, that I keep reaching for. And because I'm having to do stop and go, stop and go, every time I stopped and went, the cooler got further out of my reach. <laughs> and at one point, I'm reaching for the cooler. I have to take my eyes off of the road to see where the cooler is, and I run into the back of a pickup truck. Now, I'm driving a little European sports car, and it stalls out. And uh, th this ain't good. Uh, so I, I start the car up. It, it won't start. Even if it had started, I'm not going anywhere because it's now an accordion. Even if it had started and it wasn't an accordion, I'm still not going anywhere because there are cars to the front, cars to the back, cars on either side of me. I'm not going anywhere. I got to go. Because I know when the squads show up, they're going to arrest me for a DUI. That cannot happen because I'd just gotten a DUI over Thanksgiving. So I, I, I'm thinking, I got to go. So I got up and went. And I ran from the scene. And uh, not only am I uh, alcoholic, but uh, I also suffer from terminal brilliance. <laughs> and I, uh, I'm, I'm running. Uh, away from the scene, and I, I figure out my plan. I'm going to find a payphone. When I get to that payphone, I'm going to call 911. I'm going to report my car stolen. So that when the squads show up and the witnesses say, yeah, some guy just ran that way, the police will assume that whoever ran that way is the person that stole my car. Brilliant idea. Feel free to use it if you're going to need to. 
So to get to this payphone, I had to go over a chain link fence. Now I'm, it's the day after Christmas, 2006. It was a cold winter. So I'm wearing pants. And uh, I get to the top of the fence, and I got one leg over, and then I'm working on getting my other leg over, and the bottom of my pants got hung up on this fence, and my body goes, and my leg doesn't. So now I'm dangling from this fence by head first, just kind of like that, you know, and my pants are holding me up. All of a sudden, you know, my pants give way, and I hit the asphalt like that, and I splatter against the asphalt. Now I'm laying in a, in a pool of blood. I'm flopping around like a flounder, and rescue eventually finds me, and they take me to Chance Hospital in Jacksonville, and I present with a shattered right wrist. I've broken, I mean, my nose is on the other side of my face. I've got cuts and contusions all over. I'm in bad shape. And I'm laying in the hospital bed. Day one goes by. Day two goes by. Day three goes by. Day four, suddenly it occurs to me, there's a shell station across the street. They sell beer in that shell station. I need a beer. So I get myself a plate out of the hospital bed. I get dressed. I walk across the street to the shell station. I buy a six-pack of beer. I take it to the little park across the street. I drink that six-pack in about 20 minutes. I go back and put myself back in that hospital bed. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. I don't need a drop of alcohol in me to think alcoholically. Because once my head starts telling me what's going on with your life, what are you doing here? How did you get here? Why is your life a shambles? I need a drink. Because it's the only way I know how to make myself feel differently than the way that I feel. And I've spent my entire life looking for something to make me feel different than the way that I feel. I've spent my entire life using drugs, alcohol, women, exercise, work, money, sex, sloth, to make myself feel different than the way that I feel. And Mickey mentioned it last night. I had a God-sized hole that only God could fill. And only God can make me feel different than the way that I feel if I trust in Him and I surrender to Him. So after five weeks uh, in the hospital, I'm released to the Duval County Drug Court Program. And uh, and uh, they sent me to um, Gateway uh Community Services, which is a, a rehab in, it's a public rehab in Jacksonville. And uh, so there I am. And so is she. <laughs> you know that one that gives you a little extra squeeze at the end of the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> you know that one you're both reaching for the rehab salt and your hands kind of glaze against each other? <laughs> and it's magic. <laughs> yeah, you know the one. And uh, we were in love, you know, and, uh, we, you know, we're starting to play grab ass under the meal tables and writing love notes to each other. And we're, we're planning our big, elaborate, sober life. You know, when we get out of here, we're going to move in together and we're going to merge our families together and we're going to get sober and we're, we're going to get married. And I don't remember her name, <laughs> but I know I loved her. So... The powers that be at this joint, they caught wind of this, and apparently there's a term in rehab. I wasn't familiar with it, but I am now. It's called fraternization. And, uh, well, it's frowned upon. Uh, so they kicked me out. If you've been listening up to this point, please remember that I'm in drug court. Drug court's got rules. One of those rules is if we send you to a rehab, you better follow their rules. If you don't follow their rules, you're in violation of drug court. If you're in violation of drug court, you could go to prison for the three felonies that you're uh, facing. I'm not a stupid person. I know the rules. But the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. I don't have to have alcohol in my system to behave alcoholically. 
So it's more important to me for this little rehab girl to say, I like you. You're cute. Thanks for the salt. Than my own freedom. It's more important for me to have somebody else make me feel different than the way that I feel than the ability to see my daughters without a glass window between us. That's alcoholism for me, folks. That I will do anything. Drugs, alcohol, women, sex, money, work, exercise, sloth, to make me feel different than the way that I feel if I don't have God in my life. By God's grace, uh, they don't, uh, well, they'd kick me out of rehab, but they, they uh, cut me a break and uh, send me to uh, a place called Andy's Place, which is a three-quarter living uh, joint in Jacksonville. And um, I start doing AA. And uh, I'm on crutches from that broken hip, and I'm getting on the bus, and I am taking the bus to and from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm doing it three times a day. I'm doing it when it's 40 degrees out. I'm doing it when it's 100 degrees out because I'm done. I'm done. And they told me that uh, the only solution to that is Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, I, I was, I was ready uh, to to do exactly what they told me to do, and so I did Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got there to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm on crutches. And I'm uh, sitting on the back wall with my arms folded. Not because I didn't believe that I needed to be there. I knew I needed to be there, and I wanted to be there, and I was grateful to be there. It's because I'm scared of you. And I don't want you to know who I am. Because if you knew who I was, if you really knew who I was, you'd say something like, well, you know what? You may have alcoholism, but you also clearly have some other severe problems that we just can't deal with, and, and you gots to go, you know. And and people were coming up to me, and you know, I've got these crutches next to me. Why are you on crutches? Well, I broke my hip. How'd you break your hip? Playing softball, you know, because you weren't going to know that I'd been in jail, because I didn't come up in an environment where people went to jail. I didn't know anybody who went to jail. I was the first person I knew who ever went to jail. Come to Alcoholics Anonymous, find out half of you have been in jail. The other half should have been in jail. But I'm, I'm listening and I'm paying attention. And I'm, I, I, I love what I hear. And, and I'm grateful to be there. But again, I'm a smart guy. I'm... I'm I'm not going to get a sponsor because I, I can I can figure these steps out on the wall myself and and I kept seeing that night step and uh, made direct amends to such people wherever possible. Again, I'm brilliant. I know what amends means. It means go say you're sorry. I can do that. I've been saying I'm sorry my whole life. I'm a professional apologist, you know. So I decide that it's going to be it'd be a great idea to write my first wife a, a letter telling her how sorry I was. So I put together this 18-page Unabomber manifesto <laughs> telling her that I'm sorry, but I still love you, and you should take me back. You know, so I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm writing stuff like I'm sorry, but I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous now, and, and we sh I still love you, and, and I'm sorry for everything that ever happened, and we should raise our two children together, and, and it'll be wonderful. Now, keep in mind, while I'm writing this letter, right, so... I'm in sober living, I've got a broken hip, I have no car, no driver's license, no money, well hell, I'm a vision for you. <laughs> but this lady, she needs to take me back. Wilson wrote about it brilliantly in How It Works. I can be quite virtuous in my selfishness and my self-centeredness. I'm not thinking for a minute about what a train wreck I was in the lives of this woman and our daughters. I'm thinking about me and what I want. I'm thinking about I need to get out of sober living. I want to go back in my big house with my beautiful wife and my beautiful kids and my beautiful toys. And I'm sorry. So I send the letter off, and a couple of weeks later, the guy that runs the joint comes to me and says, Doug, uh, Roberta's received your letter. Great, I'll go pack. <laughs> he says, she never wants to hear from you again. If she ever hears from you again, she's going to call the police. Now, I didn't want to drink, but I wanted to die. I want, because my little plans and designs weren't being met. And uh, 
that's when I said, I, I, I got to do this the right way. And so I got a sponsor. And the first thing the sponsor said was, leave her alone. He said, she's clearly let you know that she does not want to be contacted by you. So leave her alone. Stay in your own hula hoop. And I did. And I did Alcoholics Anonymous. And I started uh, taking the steps. And I started making friends. And I started being honest. And I was doing what my sponsor told me to do. And I was staying in my hula, hula hoop. And I was leaving that woman alone. And now all of a sudden that first phone call came. And it was her. And she said, I think it's time that the girls talk to you on the phone. Can you be available at this time on this day? And I said, yes. And I was. More time goes on. I'm getting further into the steps. I'm, I'm you know, doing, uh, you know, service work and lots of meetings around town. And I, I've got a, t a host of friends and, and life is good. But I, I'm, I'm leaving her alone, just like my sponsor said. And that next phone call came and it was her. And she said, I think it's time that the girls saw you. Could you be at this restaurant at this time on this day? And I said, sure. And I was there. Further into Alcoholics Anonymous, I've, I've taken all the steps. I'm sponsoring guys. I'm doing a little speaking here and there. I'm get, getting into more service work, and you know, I, I've got my own place now, and, and life life is good. But uh, I'm doing what my sponsor told me to do, and I'm leaving her alone. And that next phone call came, and it was her, and she said, "I think it's time that the girls spent the weekend with you. Could I have them over there this time at this day? Can you be there?" And I said, "Sure," and I was. Several months later. Uh, she went to New Jersey on business and she took uh, the girls with her. And she called from New Jersey and said, I left some paperwork at home. Could you go over to my house and fax it up to me? And I said, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, you're not home. How am I going to get in the house? She gave me the code to the garage and the code to the alarm. I went to the house, found the paperwork, faxed it up to her from her home fax machine. And I, I, uh, I left. I closed the garage and turned the alarm off, and, and I did not find it necessary to go through her things. <laughs> a, a few months after that, she calls me and says, Haley, our youngest daughter, she wants to uh, redecorate her room. Can you go get her over to Home Depot uh, for me? I, I'd be happy to. I'm real tight on, I don't have, you know, expendable money to do that. She said, I'll leave the credit card on the kitchen counter. So I went out to the house, I picked up Haley, picked up the credit card, took her to Home Depot, got what she needed, went back to the house, dropped Haley off, put the credit card and the receipt <laughs> on the kitchen counter. Now let me tell you something. This lady had finally gotten from me what she had always wanted from me. I did what I said I would do when I said I would do it. That's all anybody ever wanted from me. That I did what I said I would do when I said I would do it. I never had that ability. I was never capable of following my commitments because I took that drink and the drink took me. And when the drink took me, I broke all promises and all commitments with the people that love me the most. And when they leave, we're shocked that they do. So, I'm doing Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, and my sponsor says after I get my uh, hip replaced, and after I go through physical rehab. Now I'd been on Social Security insurance because of my hip, and it was two and a half years before I was able to get the uh, insurance necessary to get my hip replaced. So once I get it replaced and I go through physical rehab, my sponsor says, you need to get a job. Everyone's telling me to get a job. And so, Steve, I can't get a job. Look, I'm in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm chairing this noon meeting. I'm doing this. i got sponsors over here. You need to get a job to be self-supporting of your own contributions. I said, all right, I'll get a job. So uh, I got a job at the Florida Times Union. Um, not... Uh, Covering the Jaguars, uh, I got a job. Uh, who, really, who the hell wants to cover the Jaguars? But I digress. <laughs> so I get a job um, in the uh, advertising department, and and uh, my responsibility. I'm an appointment setter. I'm calling businesses in the community to make appointments for outside sales reps to come and sell advertising. 
really easy gig. I've got a cubicle, I have a phone, I have a call sheet, I have a script. Use the call sheet, read the script on that phone. Set appointments. Super easy. Except, I've been in the cocoon of Alcoholics Anonymous for two and a half years. I've not stepped outside of these rooms. I've not stepped away from your presence. And I am scared to death of that world out there. Because I was hiding out in Alcoholics Anonymous. And we can hide out in Alcoholics Anonymous and not take out there what has been so freely given to us in here. So I, I'm, I'm scared to death of people and, and how, they, how you're going to think about, you know, I'm making these calls and this is, what's, this is what's happening. So I'm making these calls and people are saying stuff like, this isn't a good time to talk right now because you call tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Or they're saying, this, ain't, this is not a good time right now. We're not advertising in the paper. We're doing radio right now. Call back in six months, and maybe we can set up an appointment. Or they're saying, we don't have the budget for it this quarter, but please, will you call back next quarter, and we can maybe set up a, an appointment. What I hear them say is, I hate you. <laughs> don't ever call me again. I hope you and your dog die. <laughs> so I'm getting to the point now where... I'm, I'm making the call, I'm, I'm dialing the phone, they're picking up the receiver, and I'm hanging up. As soon as they pick up that receiver, before they can even say hello, I'm hanging up. I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of people whose voices I've never even heard. And I know the gig's going to be up, because I'm not setting any appointments. I know they're going to fire me, and I call Steve, and I say, Steve, you know what Judge Smalls says in Caddyshack, the world needs ditch diggers too? Well, I'm going to be one. I say to Steve, Steve, I can't do this. And he says, I know you can't. And then he paused, and I thought, that's awfully insensitive. <laughs> I, I, I was expecting that maybe he'd follow it up with, well, Doug, I know you can't, and you know what? I, I'm sorry for pushing you into it. In fact, why don't you move in with Deborah and I, and we'll take care of you. <laughs> So what I hear, what he says is, I know you can't, but God can. And you have to ask him to help you. And he taught me this prayer. And I still use it to this day. God, I pray for your courage, strength, and discipline to utilize and maximize the tools, talents, and skills that you've blessed me with and to trust in you. And what that does is it takes me out of the results business. You know, what that does is it gives me the inspiration and the action of being the best version of me that I can be one day at a time. What it does is it gives me the, the, the acceptance that no matter what happens, as long as I'm doing my part, whatever God decides, I'm going to be okay with. That's tough. You know the hardest part about trusting God? Trusting God. And, uh, look, I'm a spiritual giant when I'm getting everything that I want, you know. But when people aren't reading their copy of As Doug Sees It, <laughs> let me tell you, it's a different story, all right? My third, my third wife, Lindsay, uh, we got married a, a couple years ago. She's in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. She works the program much better than I do. Because marriage is hard. And it's harder when you're married to me. And um, her teenagers moved in with us about three years ago. And at that time, they were 11 and 14. And... Uh, the adjustment, the adjustment's difficult. It was difficult. I didn't raise my daughters. Their mother raised them, so I'm not used to having kids in the house. And um, and I, when uh, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I developed uh, OCD. You gave it to me, um, <laughs> and uh, I, I I want things the way that I want them when I want them. And one day, when I left for work, 
I took a bag of shrimp out, left it on the counter. Now this bag of shrimp, it says 50 to 60 shrimp. Great. There's four people in the house. I get home from the uh, men's meeting that evening, and uh, dinner's waiting for me. My plate, my plate is waiting for me. Now, we have four people in the house. So if there's 50 or 60 shrimp, that's about, what, 12 to 15 pieces of shrimp for each of us? I got six shrimp. <laughs> I wanted to pull the cabinets off the kitchen wall. <laughs> Not getting what I want. Not getting at all what I want. Other, They woke up this morning planning to only give me six shrimp. You know, people... people <laughs> I had to find out from you that people aren't doing it to me. They're just doing it. You know, that it's not all about me. That people just do what they do, and I have to just live and let live and stop feeling sorry for myself all the damn time. You know? The hardest part about trusting God is trusting God. You know? And, and, and just surrendering. And... It took me, you know, I've, I've got to tell you, it, it took me a long time to, to learn what surrender is. And uh, I still have difficulty with it to this day, you know, because I'm a selfish and self-centered alcoholic. And, when, and I can get irritable and restless and discontented at the drop of a dime um, because people don't behave the way that I think that they should be behaving, you know. And, and, but you, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous thinking that I had to be a robot thinking that I had to have, be emotionless and have no feelings. And um, what I found out, what I have learned over these 13 years, is I don't have to not have feelings. I don't have to not have emotions. I, don't have, I just have to not let them drive me to a drink. You know? I have to be able to control myself and just accept that people are the way that people are and that God is in control. See, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, not having to surrender the drink because that drink was taken from me when I woke up in the hospital. So I'm not coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, every day thinking, I need a drink, I need a drink, I need a drink, you know. So I didn't have to surrender the drink. I didn't understand that, you know, that it's not the drinking. That I have to surrender all aspects of my life if I'm going to live happy, joyous, and free and surrender them to that God. Because I found out that drinking was my solution for my living problems. But if drinking is your solution, that's a problem. And my sponsor told me, you know, a long time ago, the same thing that his sponsor told him. If you've got a drinking problem, there's a solution. Quit drinking. If you've got a living problem, there's a solution. The 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I found out I have a living problem. I, I, I really found that out uh, about two years ago. My wife and I are driving down a main uh, artery in Jacksonville. And um, first of all, let me preface this by saying that we live in a society. Okay? So keep, <laughs> keep that in the back of your head. An ambulance is coming up behind us. Now, society dictates that when an emergency vehicle is coming up behind you, you either veer to the right or you veer to the left and let that emergency vehicle go through the middle. So, because we live in a society, and I try to live by its predicates, I veered to the right. Now, society also dictates that when that ambulance goes by, you get back into your lane in the order that you got out of your lane. <laughs> so the guy behind me, when the ambulance goes by, he decides he's going to cut to the middle real quick and power on through in front of all of us kind of cuts me off. 
this will not stand. We live in a society. And this guy has got to know, there are rules to society. And you ain't following them. So I punch it, and I'm starting to, to follow this guy. Because I need to do my civic duty and let him know. So now I'm going like 75. And my wife does the... Guys, you know this. You know the look. (laughs) And I saw her out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, what in the hell are you doing? Stop turning your will and your life over to the care of anyone who will take it, Doug. You know? Stop letting people dictate your behavior. And that's been the hardest thing for me to learn in Alcoholics and Anonymous. But it's getting better. Because I want to be better. I don't want to keep being knotted up because of the way other people are behaving. I don't want you, them, or it to be my higher power. I want God to be my higher power. And the only way I'm going to do that is to stop letting you, them, or it dictate my behavior. I was uh, blessed uh, five and a half years ago with, uh, boy, thanks, you know, thanks in Alcoholics Anonymous for me. Because of, because of this program, five and a half years ago, I was asked to be the executive director of the Alco Housing Club in downtown Jacksonville. The Alco House itself is a 130-year-old Victorian and uh, has a uh, AA clubhouse and a diner um, across the courtyard from it. It also has two other residential properties. It's made to house 50 people. Uh, between the three properties. When I took over, uh, there was $1,300 in the checking account in about 23 residents. God turned it around. God turned it around. It's, it's, it's always full with the suffering alcoholic, and we've been able to uh, generate enough revenue that uh, some uh, much-needed renovations uh, were able to uh, to take place. And now I consider it, and a lot of people do, the, the gem of sober living in Jacksonville. But the most important thing is that in the uh, 65 months uh, since uh, we took over, there have been 75 people move in and earn their one-year medallions. And uh, that's what's most important, is we're there for the, the still sick and suffering alcoholic and, and to... Just take this message to them, and and you know it took me several years in sobriety to uh, to find that niche of my next career. And uh, when this presented itself, I was over the moon, and I'm still over the moon because I just wanted to help people, and I just want to help people, and I want to do it the right way, in a responsible way. And we're the largest not-for-profit, privately owned uh, sober living facility in Jacksonville. My uh, relationship with that first wife. Now, I call uh, her my former wife. Now, my second wife is still my ex-wife. I'm not that spiritual yet. <laughs> but my former wife and I uh, have a good relationship today. We've broken bread with our significant others. Uh, I've been. Uh, we've we've driven uh, to and from Tallahassee uh, before to see our daughters. Uh, I've slept in her bed. She wasn't there. Uh, but, uh, you know, when she has had to be out at, when the girls were still in high school, she would ask me to once in a while to uh, stay at the house. Um, not for really any other reason than to make sure a keg party didn't break out in the living room, you know. But because of you, that relationship has been restored. And today I get to be married to Lindsay who, like I told you, works the program a lot better than I do, who is herself following her own dream of going back to school and becoming a lawyer, something she never thought was attainable until she came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And we get to raise her children. And while, while the raising of children for me has been difficult, 
it turned around significantly uh, when her sponsor and my sponsor met with the two of us. Because I was about done. I, I was about out the door. Um, not for any other reason than I, I can't, I, I can't manage this with, with kids, not doing what I want them to do, not doing what I think they're supposed to do. And then her sponsor said this. She said, why don't you do it? <laughs> why don't I do it? Yeah. Why don't I do it? So I, that's when I surrendered that uh, that entire deal. Why don't I do it? Stop getting upset because the kitchen counter isn't wiped down the way you want it to wipe down. You do it. So that has uh, that has uh, turned that entire situation around. Um, I can't tell you what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me, uh, really, other than it saved my life. And uh, I hear people, you know, I deal with a lot of people coming in and off of the street, and they say, I just want my life back. Well, let me tell you something, sport, your life ain't worth getting back. But Alcoholics Anonymous, it'll give you a new life. It gave me a new life. Thank you. Thank you.